So here we find uh, Paul writing to the Colossians about how to live as a Christian family, speaking to the church, where the household was the primary social setting of the early church and also a place of worship. And through this scripture, we have the model of the average household as a template for the married couple living with their children and their slaves. Simon shared a few weeks ago that Paul was writing to the church as they wanted to please God, but they weren't going about it in the right way. Here, Paul outlines how to live out healthy relationships. I think it's helpful just to go back a few verses into an earlier part of Colossians 3, and we're going to do that now, just reading a couple of verses. And in doing so, we can place Jesus as the lens through which we read them. So just if you've got your Bibles, just go a few verses up into verse 11. We're going to read verse 11 and verse 17. Verse 11 says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. The perspective to read these scriptures today, I believe, is from the reality that we are equal in Christ because Christ is in all of us and that we are to do everything in the name of Jesus. To set the scene, I believe Paul is writing to address imbalances that existed in relationships and not to create them. The desire of Paul is that there is more freedom coming from this letter than before it was spoken out. Radically, Paul is also writing to proclaim a culture of honour, speaking against the shame and dominion that was so common in that society, where the world had perverted what true power looked like. And today I've brought some scales. The kids were playing with them earlier. It's quite difficult to actually get them to be perfectly level, but... um, for me, these are very nostalgic. It's a complete side story. But I remember baking with my nan and with these, not these exact scales. But I bought these scales today to demonstrate how I believe Jesus is redefining power dynamics and, and the balance that we have in relationships. And uh, we're going to come back to this a few times today. So I respect you might want to see it. But here we've got um, two sides uh, where we can... Normally you have weights on this side and ingredients in here, but we've gone for, for two weights. And in the middle, we have this plumb line. And today, this plumb line is going to be Jesus. This is the plumb line that we are living with, Jesus in the middle of all of these pairs of relationships. And sometimes um, it it feels like the world, when we add power, we add authority, that if we just add a bit of weight, it completely changes the balance. Sometimes I feel that's what the world tells us power is like, where someone has dominion over someone else. And perhaps this is how we feel when we first open up these scriptures today. So we're going to take a look at these three pairs of relationships um, through um, these verses. Remembering that the design is that Jesus, here we have Jesus, Jesus is at the center of them all. So often Jesus is demoted in our relationships and even the other person that we're in relationship is demoted which then naturally, if one goes down, it raises the self up with an ego being created. And that may have been the starting point for which Paul was speaking into. But Jesus is the supreme one. And in each, we have a responsibility for our own actions, 
but also a commitment to partner together with someone else. So the first couple of verses we're going to go over again are verses 18 and 19, looking at uh, a marriage. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Here I believe that Paul is addressing the balance of household authority, not allowing the heads of a household to abuse it, which was often in the structure of a male-dominated pater familias. We can remind ourselves of the verses that run up into in the earlier part of Colossians 3, that Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, I believe Jesus is confronting any outworking of authority that lifts one person up above another and ultimately above Christ. So 2,000 years later, what does this look like for our relationships? Really, as I said, please forgive me. I'm trying to get these balances harder than it looks. Right. So sometimes I think we can think that this, these balanced scales with no weights in them illustrate what a marriage relationship can look like. We still have Christ at the center. We still have equality and honor. But I think in relationships, we all know, we're all aware that we have to contribute something. And we can contribute something positive, our passions our qualities. And actually, that is where the strength comes in. And that's where we need the tension that comes from relationships where both parties bring something to each other. There's no magic here. It's literally just, go on, go on, go on. You can't see it, so I'm going to tell you it's right in the middle there. So when things are held in tension, when positive forces are applied... We all have something to contribute to the relationship. Balance doesn't come from the absence of an action or feeling. Paul outlines the role for wives within marriages, speaking to them first. First and foremost, the wives in Christ are to live out their commitment to their husbands, seeing submission as an act of obedience to the Lord. I believe Paul acknowledges it is sadly reasonable for there to be hesitation for wives in marriages, but the norm for many may be a domineering, controlling relationship. This was valid when Paul was writing and is still true too often today. But Paul is also setting the standards for Christian relationships by placing the moral limits and the boundary lines for a safe and loving relationship to be fitting in the Lord. He is reminding this society that Jesus is a part of this, each marriage, where a three-chord strand is not easily broken. Do we treat the person we are in relationship in a way that pleases the Lord and honors him? Can we see Jesus in each other in the way that we love? A Christ-honoring husband will not abuse his wife's devotion towards him for it is a gift, not a given. Within this loving relationship in Christ, wives have the freedom in Christ to follow their husband, who I believe is also following Jesus. And for husbands, the call is to love. This is agape love, a deep, sacrificial, covenantal love that unites and heals, 
a love that we ultimately see in Christ, in the laying down of his life and his will for us, the ultimate sacrifice and gift. Therefore, it's love, if love is a demonstration of submitting your will to someone else, likewise, submission is an act of love. So for Paul, does this assume that husbands weren't very loving to their wives in this culture? I'm assuming this may be the case, giving Paul something very directly to challenge. As husbands here in this church, what challenges would Paul have for us if he were to write? On top of this, another challenge for the church congregation was about not being harsh with their wives. For the Colossians, this could have been a timely challenge due to the radical nature of these verses to them as the household was being reorientated in Christ, where wives are being raised up alongside their husbands with Christ at the centre. The truth was and is that only Jesus is Lord of the household. So what what does this look like for us now? For all that has changed and stayed the same. Ephesians 5, which um, Paul writes very similarly to that to the, the church of Ephesus, says that we should submit to one another and we should all accept this as a characteristic of every Christian. Further, going back to our illustration, if we were to pick up these weights, that love and submission, they are the key ingredients to redistributing power within relationships. In Christ, we can have wholesome relationships. Moreover, even more, you can see that Christ is the center and we can see each other through Christ and in Christ as we look back and forth. In the words of Song of Solomon, the, wife's may, the wife may say, my beloved is mine and I am his. And the husband may echo back, you have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes and with one jewel of your necklace. Simply put, I choose you demonstrates the love designed for marriages. Now we move on to parents and children. And straight away we can see these reciprocal behaviours that bind these relationships together in Christ. In the era of ancient Greeks and Romans, children were regarded in extremely low esteem, often merely seen as possessions, some even sold into slavery by their own parents. And out of interest, this word for father was often used for parents, and it's more likely that Paul was probably using it in this way to address the church. Further still, Roman law gave permission for fathers to treat their children however they wanted, potentially giving children no incentive to want to honour their parents if they were treated so badly. Personally, I can relate to this. I grew up in a very loving um, home with my mum and grandparents, um, but the relationship with my dad has always been distant, disappointing and discouraging. So particularly for me, I found it really challenging, weighing up being an obedient son and putting Christ first. Therefore, the relationship between children and their parents in this society were not one that often demonstrated a Christ-centered family. This is the radical nature of Paul's writing, that children are being raised up in value and worth in the church. Once again, I believe Paul's dream is to see parents pour out their love on their children so they can trust their leadership. 
In the same way that I've wrestled in how to be a good son, I continue to wrestle in how to be a good dad. If I choose to replicate the ways of my earthly dad, I will undoubtedly discourage my children too. But I've seen with my children that when I choose to teach and encourage them, there is a natural desire to follow my lead. Um, you might have seen my son. He's on his skateboard, I think, at the moment. He's going down the aisles. But um, often, um, Zach helps out Vix um, and, the, and the early morning team set out the chairs, uh, moving the screen. Sometimes he's sort of taking out now. He's being moved on the screen, sort of climbing up the, the screen and being moved. Um, but he loves to help. And one of the lessons that I'm learning um, is that there's real joy in the process of doing jobs together um, with varying success. Um, recently, we stripped off the tiles in our bathroom walls and um, decided to let the kids join me, thinking that um, one of the lessons I've learned, if I just let them do the first few minutes, then they're happy and then they wander off and I can actually crack on and get the job done. Um, three hours later, um, Zach was still helping. Ada had a little break and come back to join us. And uh, I was chatting to Babs um, before church and said, oh, what did you get up to yesterday? And I said, oh, we, um, our family activity was... Um, taking tiles off the wall. And uh, Bab shared about how, he's reminded about how children only see, only do what they see their father doing. And I reflect on this moment now as a holy moment we shared, as in that moment I chose to embrace and not embitter them, to welcome them, not push them away. And that's a choice I desire to make more and more by giving them the best of my time. So back to this, when we see um, honor, when honor is shared and we have the obedience of our children and we have the love of the parents, it flows together. And for those of us, our parents, that are parents, are we living out parenting that places Jesus at the center? Are we willing to humble ourselves before God and our children so that in Christ we can build them up? In the world that this generation of children are growing up in, is this not needed now as much as ever? And our last pair of relationships is masters and servants. We're going to go back to verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it. Not only when their eyes is on you, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with whatever is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, it is interesting here that Paul doesn't condemn slavery, and some say that he didn't go far enough to denounce it. It's probably helpful, though, to project, to sort of put aside our opinion of slavery on this text, although it is, of course, valid, and we appreciate that slavery still exists to this day. The gap in between the master and the slave in this story is apparent to all of us, worlds apart in terms of equality. Slaves seem merely as living tools by their owners, with no rights, no freedom, and no inheritance. As slaves came to know the true worth, as many of them would have done in the congregations of these house churches, the resetting of the master-slave relationship 
to be brothers and sisters in Christ, jointly freed in Jesus. And there are three quick ways that we will look at this. The first is a call to obey our attitude. If slaves and masters in Paul's day translates to employers and employees now, what inspirations and lessons can we take? When you go into work on a Monday morning, who do you see that you are serving? What are you like at work when no one is watching? We've had some trainees at our charity in the Pelham for a while, and one of our simple measures of success is if you ask them to do something, come back five minutes later. Are they still there? Are they still doing what you've asked them to do? If work is difficult, could you shift the focus of who you are actually working for, for it to be to serve in Christ? Secondly, our, our rewards, a call to inherit. Now remember, slaves had no possessions and no inheritance. So to be told that you had an inheritance, that must have been mind-blowing. Locally, many of you may know the story of John Bickersteff, who received the inheritance of Ashburnham Place from a descendant as a 27-year-old theology student, as the nearest heir. Can you just imagine getting that letter through to receive Ashburnham Place? Paul reminds us that obedience and inheritance go hand in hand whereas so do wrongs and punishment. There are consequences to our actions and choices, including being blessed by Jesus in choosing him. In Ephesians 6, 8, it says, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. A final inheritance would have represented an eternal payday for the slaves hearing this message in the church. As slaves were rarely heirs, this was a reversal of cultural expectations and a radical reorientation of culture. For, for those that choose to serve Jesus, we will also receive an eternal compensation as the currency of our reward, an eternal life with Christ. And last of all, if we find ourselves in a position of leadership within our work, our call is to provide. Our biggest influence should be Jesus. More than any other CEO podcast, like I listen to like Craig Gashel or Stephen Bartlett or any other book. If we find ourselves in a position of leadership and influence, we can choose to be right and just. In this, in this setting, most simply, proper financial compensation, appropriate conditions and no exploitation. One of the uh, sort of phrases that we have at work when we come to a point where we get stuck sometimes at a crossroad is that we always choose to err on the side of generosity. If we come to a point where we're not sure, we err on the side of generosity, choosing to pour out a blessing. So here we have again, come back to our scales, we have a call to obey and we have a call to provide. So we both, we all have a role to play within this, whatever influence, wherever we find ourselves. And ultimately, again, Paul points to Christ. And here we have Christ, not only as the model for a master, but also the model as a slave. Effectively making them equal, as they are both as much in and under Christ, who is the Lord. Therefore, wherever we find ourselves in this mix, Christ is once again our great example. So, our response today... Coming back to the scale, that Jesus is at the center. 
Jesus is at the center of all of our relationships. And however we, whatever relationship we're approaching, whatever we have to bring um, to the table, Jesus is at the center. He is the one that guides us. That we are equal in Christ. Jesus is the one that unites and equals us. We have a quality in the balance of our relationships. Christ is in all of us. Christ is in all of us. And in Christ we are called to serve and not be served. Our great example is Jesus himself, who as we have reflected on in communion, sacrificed his life for us, for you. And there's nothing more radical in these verses than, than doing everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ, mentioned seven times in just these nine verses. And last of all, we're going to finish on reading verse 17 once again. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Choosing to follow Jesus is our first priority. And if these relationships reflect our households, and our households reflect the church, and the church reflects Jesus to the world, then the way we love each other really does matter. Our homes are meant to look different. Our families are meant to be different. And in Christ, we can glorify God in the way that we love and live. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, thank you that you are at the center of our lives, the center of our relationships. And Lord, we want to glorify you. We want to honor you. Speak to us today, Lord. Thank you. You are our great example. We want to glorify you in everything that we do. In your name, Jesus. Amen.